everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Rugby legend Owen Franks joins us from across the pond for this week's killer episode. If you're a rugby fan or a person with a pulse, you'll want to tune into this discussion. Living a childhood steeped in that rugby culture, Franks explains how 9 out of 10 kids that he grew up with dreamed of playing for the All Blacks. Few can say they actually achieved such success, though, and Owen is just one of those few. Now with the Northampton Saints, he is still hard charging in his athletic career. Here are chat with Owen Franks starting now. Here it is, episode 347. It's that time again. What time is it, John? It's time for the premier podcast in strength and... Con? Dishin? Dishin? Say it. Mm? <laughs> Ing. Ladies and gentlemen, that's right. The premier podcast in strength and conditioning Ing has begun another premier episode. I'm Luke. Can we be... Wait... Is it the premiere episode? Because that would refer to our 357 episodes that this would be the premiere episode. I think that's safe to say. I th- I'm, I'm good with it. I'm going with it. 346. 346. Mm-hmm. It's, we're, it's a safe bet. We've got a legend on and uh, also a guest, Tex and John. If you get it, like I'm the... I got to rework. Whoa, that was another that F-bomb. Would, and that'll only be the only one of the show. For um, and you let write off... Write it down. We just write lost it down. the listener. Yeah, mm-hmm. that I'm gonna well, get bleep, I'm gonna net, I'm gonna get another uh, uh, hate mail email about our use of <laughs> profanity, reckless use, as I think the email said. That's right. Well, there is nine occasions where that person will be offended on this recording. But you know what? It's all about improvement. So I was at what 27. Now I'm working my way down to nine, <laughs> and then we'll get to the point where it's zero. And we're talking per minute. Ladies and gentlemen, we have another. Absolutely fabulous show today for you. We have Owen Franks on the podcast. We're going to talk rugby. He's going to school us up. We're going to talk about his training. Oh, speaking of training, this episode's brought to you by Power Athlete. Did you know that we offer a collection, a catalog, if you will, John, of training programs, daily training programs delivered to the palm of your hand that are suited for any preference in training and schedule, right? So we got Grindstone, Field Strong, Jack Street, Bedrock. We've got Lean and Able, Iron Flex. We got the Johnny Wad, the Johnny Bod. We got Armor and Hammer. We got like dude. Anything. We have we have covered the gamut. We have covered the spectrum of training programs. That's right. For everything from like the most elite warfighter kicking indoors over here to the dude that just wants to look thick, juicy, and swole living on Jack Street. And then we also have our really what I call our our crowning program with. Uh, Field strong in mm-hmm. terms of developing and fostering athleticism. So either you want to be big and thick and juicy, you want to kick indoors because you're an elite warfighter, or you just want to be the sickest athlete on the planet. We got you. And if you don't have time to commit to your training, we've got budget programs as well in Lean and Able and in Grindstone. Uh, we got it all. We literally have it all. And every single one of our subscriptions have a two week risk free trial. That means if, hey, you know what? I am looking for. Advice from a profession, former professional athlete who's competed at the li- the largest competitive stage and has had access to the brightest minds in strength and conditioning, fitness, wellness, and health, and I want to take advice from that guy, 
That's you, big guy. Well, I mean, uh, we got Owen Franks. Used to follow CrossFit football. That's right. And it's validated over and over again by the people who have entered into this game uh, and are either enthusiasts or researchers. It's continually validated. But, man, we're talking like 30 cents a day is what it costs to subscribe to our programming, which is bonkers. Yeah. And if you if you want to take a plunge, head to powerathletehq.com slash training. There's a little widget there that can help you pick a program, but all of our subscriptions are two weeks risk-free, which means you get in there, you try it, experience the app, watch the movement demos that McQuilkin and I and John film, record, and push out, read the instructions that John writes up, experience it all. Including the community. That's right. Which is the most powerful part. It is. Of the most elite. Strength and conditioning. Premier. Ing. We'll get you. I'm, get you. I'm not inging anymore. That's a ding. <laughs> <laughs> I am not ing anymore. <laughs> it's like saying curse words for the kids. <laughs> F U C K S H I T. Um, you check S- it out. You S O B. <laughs> you check it out. Head to powerathletehq.com/slash training. Two weeks risk free trial. Do it. Do it. Do it. But now, do it. What else do we want to talk about? Anything we want to debate or wormhole or rabbit hole? Quick. Plug while this is a rugby enthusiast, I'm working with Iowa Youth Rugby Association oh, yeah. March 7th up in Des Moines, Iowa, a little sports clinic, one dayer. They're bringing in coaches from all over the community of all sport. And what are you going to talk about? Barbell training for transfer to field sport athletes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be targeting specifically a high school coach audience. But like the do the Dulay folks. Uh-huh. Right. So the so sport coaching. You are a sport coach. You, you're working with your rugby team and you want to give them access to the gym. As you'll hear in this podcast uh-huh. from Owen, the difference maker for him and his brother during their developmental years Take was a barbell. Yeah. yeah. So that is the the narrative in which we're presenting power athlete squat, deadlift, and how to transfer to the field. All right, I guess without further ado, let's talk to a legend in the making, man. It was a great chat. Oh, yeah. I, I do hope you re- I forgot about the September trip. I know you did. I know that. We got to get that on the calendar. Let's. The September block one, mm-hmm. I mean, that's got to get so on there. So going back if to. We're going to do it. But so going back to our discussion yesterday about like, hey, what do we want to do like with some other events earlier in? That has all of the elements that I was talking about that I think make a great team building event. Uh, I, I completely agree. I mean, it's pretty funny. My wife's like, oh, you know, like uh, we got to go out to California. And she's like trying to like push me to do all these things. And I'm kind of like speaking. She's like, you're being unusually quiet. I'm like, well, because <laughs> I'm all right. waiting to see how things pan out. How? Be like, I got us a trip to Germany. <laughs> We're going to go. It's going to be polka and this. And then we show up and there's like thousands of drunk people and being like, what? The kids, it's totally kids friendly. Yeah. John, John, did you mean Pam out like the power athlete methodology? Level one see course? things Pam out? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Was it's that online a, at that academy.powerathleteHQ.com. <laughs> The first step to becoming a block one coach is, is your us in Oktoberfest. Is your online education experience mm-hmm. where we focus on application. Should that be our second? You know, we're doing obviously yes. the Coaches Collective for yes. our block one. So we're having yes. an event here in Austin called the Coaches Collective. If you're a block one coach, uh, it's gonna be a you know two-day event, not only featuring block one coaches, but really just a, a knowledge share, just a download of great information. Could this also be a power athlete mm-hmm. event where, you yes. know, come to Germany, hang Absolutely. out with the power athlete coaches. Yes. I love 100%. it. 100%. That's what I was just kind of thinking. 
As you were blabbing about something, I don't know. <laughs> you were there uh, droning on about nothing. Yada, yada. yada. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. About the premier course? Coaching course? In online. I'm still stuck in Des Moines. Education. I'm still stuck in Des Moines at the I world. I hope I don't get... Oh, I don't talk negative about the beautiful feels city like, of Des Moines. Feels like uh, I'm stuck in Des Moines every day here, gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> oh, in Central America? Have you ever been to Des Moines? Yeah, we yes, did. we did a seminar there. Oh, no, we right. did it in um, Ames. Ames, Iowa. Ames, Iowa. Uh-huh. But we mm-hmm. flew into Des Moines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the big city. Mm-hmm. And I've driven through Des Moines quite a bit. My, where's uh, you, Coach where's Mike Hill. Iowa University? Uh, Iowa State is I, in Ames. Yeah. Mike Hill is from there. Uh, Des Moines is where Iowa is, yeah, I believe. So I'm definitely, well, you oh. somewhere near it. Home of Casey Wigman. Because that was driving distance for us in college, and it was a bloodbath because drinking age was 18. Ooh. And then they... Ramp, rightfully ramp that up. Yeah. Not that it, it just slows it down a little bit. But I, I, I saw I saw a funny meme the other day, and it was like um, Iowa City, like twenty one alcohol. Uh, they they were like twenty one alcohol, twenty one uh, smoking, and they were like, "All we got for you is war at 18. Like it was, <laughs> oh, uh, that's good. Yeah, it was pretty uh, funny. Louisiana used to be eighteen, so people would drive from Houston to go buy some booze because maybe it's three hours, not even, mm-hmm. and then drive back. But then. Uh, the USA stopped paying for the highways in Louisiana. Oh yeah, and so yeah. they they handcuffed them yeah. up to twenty one. Yeah. Do you know what the uh, the supervised drinking age is in Texas? Have we covered this on the podcast? No. Uh, no, we haven't. But I six. I know that. Is it six? Yeah. Parents can buy you a beer or a drink at dinner, and it's it's legal. At what age? Uh, legally consumed. Twenty one. Eighteen, provided they get certified. I, I want can. In it sounds Texas, like a person urban. may provide alcohol to a minor if he or she is the minor's is the minor's adult parent, guardian, or spouse, and the visibility present the minor possesses and consumes alcoholic beverage. I remember it being so. It's like a very. Can parents legally consent their kids to drinking? It's very bizarre. Like, is it kind of like that weird state statue where uh, a sheriff can uh, call out a still call out a posse and deputize anybody? Maybe. We, uh, I went to college in Virginia, D.C., and a buddy and his family took a D.C. trip, so I went to dinner with them, and the dad tried to buy us a beer, and then the guy said no. So the waiter said no. So my buddy's dad basically read him the riot act and uh, it then brought in God into this, like, the Constitution, and he went all over this guy and just I remember him saying, like, yeah, God is going to help those that help themselves. And that was like talking down to this waiter for not allowing us to just drink a beer at Steakhouse. Well, it's true. God does help those who help themselves. So, but that depends on your imaginary friend in the sky. I can't, I can't find it. But what, there was an interesting It's quote. like a bizarre. You said adult spouse. Yeah, it was. Well, that means if you're um, like, uh, like, because I think the marriage age here is 16. Mm-hmm. And it's so that was it. Like in the the maybe it was the, it's been changed, but Ashley and I looked it up. Just random like potpourri fact at you know what what's the age? And it was like can exceed as long as the the individual or the minor exceeds the age of five or six or something like very young and is in as like and the adult is a the parent or b the adult spouse of the minor or c a college graduate. Right, so. so it's like we're thinking like adult spouse over five years old. That's little creepy Texas, but you get a little get your seven year old white claw. Actually, your you, daughters can get wasted on white claws if we wanted uh, to. Go to Fuddruckers. Uh, 
I, uh, a couple spritzers. I think I made the mistake of um, <laughs> drinking a white claw as a water one. Yeah, at Summerstone. That, that no, terrible. that was not a thing. You definitely did. No, I I drank like five of them, and then I was like. I don't think, and then I got up and I looked later and I was like, these aren't waters. How hungover was I? Gosh, that was like the worst. That <laughs> was the hilarious. worst Airbnb. That was, was the worst. worst. Did we talk was, about it on the show? There was a parking lot. Dude, have. imagine a huge parking lot with a house in the middle. Not a house, an insane asylum. Like it, <laughs> the shower room. No, it was, was a previous so dentistry. Legitimately, it was a former dentistry that they turned into an Airbnb. And Dude, explain. Do you remember the that? Uh, do, you, do you remember that group shower when, like, uh, and then we realized that there was a shower in the bathroom? I'm like, oh, there's a shower in the bathroom. I was just peeing in the shower. Let's stop talking about this. I'm so ashamed by that Airbnb <laughs> booking, you guys. You have no idea. And the best uh, is we had Callie and Lexi with us. <laughs> and Harry Shaw. So are you going to find an even worse one for some I don't know. This year? I don't know. Maybe. One last job. All right, ladies and gentlemen, enough about us. Let's talk <laughs> to this legend of a rugby player, Owen Franks. Let's go. Yeah, Owen, well, I guess let's start there. You're talking about growing up. Um, in case there's any of our listeners who don't know who y'all are and what you guys do, give them the intro, man. Who's Owen Franks? What do the Franks brothers do? What's the legacy? Where did it start? <laughs> the legacy, uh, me and my brother, we grew up in a town, uh, Machuaika, top of the South Island. Uh, my dad was a fisherman there. He uh, fished out of Machuaika Port. Uh, not sure how in depth it will get, but basically grew up there for the first five, six, sevens, uh, five, six, seven years of our life and then uh, moved to the bigger city in Christchurch. Um, the old man started fishing out of there, so to where our rugby journey began, really. Um, me and my brother, we started training from a pretty young age. From when I can remember, really, our, our dad uh, would have us out going for runs and training down the local park with a bull and, and all the rest of it. Um, when we reached, uh, I must have been 12, been, would have been a bit older. When we reached that age, our dad said to us, um, you know, do you want to start taking this seriously? Um, if you want to be a professional, we'll start training properly. And I suppose that was where the journey really started. Um, from there, long story short, me and my brother both made our way into the, the Crusaders rugby team, which is uh, the province that, that we represent as the, the top half of the South Island. And following on from that, we um, both made our way into the All Blacks. So uh, long story short, that's our, that's our background, really. Uh, it, it's always amazed me that, um, I mean, I think there's less than 3 million people live in New Zealand. I mean, I think it's really the size of Orange County in terms of total population. But yet, uh, it has the, you know, the most dominant rugby tradition. Yeah, like the highest density of... Well, but just, it, it's amazing to me that like a, uh, you know, a country of that size has a culture and such that, you know, they have this incredibly dominant you know, rugby team just every year after year so consistent in terms of like, you know, on, on the global stage. It just always amazed me with that. Yeah, it's just something you grow up with, you know. Um, if you uh, go to New Zealand, you would have seen it when you were there. There's, there's rugby fields everywhere, probably the same as uh, football in the States. But if you ask any New Zealand kid, uh, I'd say nine out of ten would say that they want to grow up and be an All Black. Um, so you'd probably take it with a grain of salt with their answer. But, you know, obviously not many get to there um it's just inbred in the culture you know i remember growing up and watching uh all black games against australia and quite a lot of my family actually from australia but one, one half of the lounge room would be green and gold and the other one you know dressed up in black and it's a <laughs> it's a fierce rivalry but you know you grow up from a young age just watching those games and uh 
you know, hanging hanging off every every word that you hear All Blacks say and, and all the rest of it. So, yeah. So it's really just uh, an ingrained culture. Was that right on the amount of people? Oh, uh, 4.7 million. But that's 2017. If we look back 2000, then you're in that three mil. So it's grown significantly in 20 years. Yeah, well, I mean, people realize it's pretty nice, so they're all moving there. Oh, it's like Texas. <laughs> and a lot of all-black celebration <laughs> nights. You know, like, is it, isn't it, um, isn't there like a World Series baby thing where, uh, what, what am I thinking of? Where Nobody couples knows. Would go, Nobody couples knows. Would go out and celebrate the victory of a team, and then <laughs> nine months later... Oh, <laughs> oh! I thought, are born. I thought you were talking about the uh, the dream team in Spain. So when the NBA or the yeah. NBA basically went to the Olympics, the dream team, uh-huh. and then all of a sudden, twenty years later, Spain became a <laughs> dominant force, a in dominant basketball. force uh, in international uh, basketball. Uh, that's not uh, uncommon because where we used to go to training camp, we used to go to River Falls, Wisconsin, and like where all these NFL teams would go to training camp. There would always hot be beds like of football players. Yeah, yeah they, like, like that became a hotbed. And I remember one of our scouts being like, "Man, I'm gonna look out there and see Derek Thomas looking back at me," and uh, it was true. Like there, I mean, that just yeah. I, yeah, I think you have the other side of the coin too. And in, in, in New Zealand, when the All Blacks lose, it's like violence stats goes up through the roof for the weekend. And, <laughs> yeah, see, so, so you get the good end of bad. Yeah. What's What's more violent, victory or loss? <laughs> No, uh, yeah, depends who you are, I suppose. But <laughs> for the for the player, for the player, definitely the loss is sort of hanging your head in shame and uh, well, hoping you don't have to speak too many people. There's kind of a uh, like a, I mean, I guess like a national pride, I guess, as a player, right? Like you know, like you're you're somehow championing and carrying the the country on your back during these games and through the support. I mean, uh, you know, in the game I had, I mean, it was just like a city was behind you or some random fans, but to actually think like an an entire Oh, okay. uh, country has like put their yeah, rally behind. Yeah. You. Rally behind. And like, it's such an interesting thing, especially like, um, cause I think New Zealand, um, Australia is only like 10 and a half million people. Look that one up. So like it, it, what, what always amazes me is, um, the, the reason I checked into any of this stuff is that, you know, there's, a um, an issue right now with like the second amendment and gun ownership. And they always reference Australia as like, Hey, you know, they had mass shootings and they took guns away. And, um, Oh, it's up to 24 million. Okay. So it's roughly the size of Southern California. 20, 20 in 2000. Yeah. So right the size of Southern California. Um, yeah. And like they were like, oh, you know, it could do there. And I'm like, you're talking about a country that legitimately has the population of Southern California. That'd be pretty easy, you know? So it's just, it's always interesting when you look at population because there's what, like 330 million in this country? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We just looked this up. Yeah. yeah we looked this up. 60, 330, something like that. But man, it still just blows my mind that you guys uh, would have like to be that dominant on the world stage. But I mean, it's really the national pastime. I mean, is there? Yeah, well, yeah. I think it's uh, it's a sort of a blessing in disguise. The, you know, yeah, right at the bottom of the world. So it's, it's a fishbowl, really, and everyone's so focused on rugby, and it creates a lot of pressure. You know, uh, you can't hide from people, and, and they expect you to win all the time. So uh, the All Blacks, uh, I suppose, really good at um, embracing that and embracing winning all the time. It's just. Uh, part of the All Blacks' identity. So I think that's probably what sets um, the All Blacks and New Zealand sport apart in general is that you always want to punch above your weight and, um, you know, the public and, and you expect expect to win. So, um, 
the other side of that is when you don't, it's like a, yeah. <laughs> it's like a, yeah, it's a, a bloody funeral. But, um, it's a dangerous yeah. culture motivating. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like yeah. angry people. With, uh, yeah. So, so you, uh, how long, so you uh, uh, came up through, obviously you said the Crusaders and then you went to go play for the All Blacks, which is kind of the national mm-hmm. team. Is that also like, um, I mean, I know you guys do World Cup, but is, uh, is there, I mean, I, I wish I was more familiar with like, you know, like there's, um, uh, I knew there was a bunch of professional leagues and ways to get paid, but I didn't necessarily understand if like the All Blacks were kind of a professional team and that you guys, or was it more country based? No, it is a professional. It is quite uh, complicated to understand, but uh, so there's a competition called Super Rugby, which is what the Crusaders and and other franchises other franchises play in, along with Australian and um, and South African teams. Uh, when when that runs through, they then you know select your national teams, the All Blacks, Aussie, whatever, um, and then you go on to play, obviously, other internationals in your on the Southern Hemisphere. And usually at the end of the year, you'll go go up north um, to the UK and play some Northern Hemisphere teams. But um, no, it is professional. If you're uh, if you're on the All Blacks, you you know you get a good pay rise, and um, you know it's a lot of time away from home, so you, you definitely get reimbursed well for that. So yeah, you know, so everyone wants to be in that spot. Do guys play for the All Blacks, but then they also play for other professional teams? It's kind of like hey, you play on your pro team, and then it's like a, an All Star almost, where they select the best players for the to represent the uh, the country. Pretty much, it'd be like playing um, your NFL season, then they pick the Pro Bowl. But for the Pro Bowl, then you'd go on to play another ten or twelve teams against other countries. Would be the the simplest way to explain it. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. And then, um, yeah, is there? Um, I mean, I'm sure you have. Uh, a pretty good opinion on this, but like, uh, is there a different style of rugby that like New Zealand plays versus Australia versus what you see in the UK? Yeah, no, there definitely is. Is actually uh, one of the motivating factors for coming over here. Is you know, obviously, I played twelve years professionally in in, in New Zealand, and um, most of those countries in the Southern Hemisphere play a similar brand, similar brand except bar in South Africa, which are typically bigger guys and they play a more physical game. But over here, it's more of a set-piece, dominated game. So a lot of competition around the scrum um, and the line-out, um, I suppose, would be like your you know offensive and defensive line going at it. It's a real, it's a bit more of a competition there for dominance. Um, so that was my reasoning for coming over here. I thought if I... Uh, you know, wanted to be the most complete player I could as a front row forward. I'd, it'd be good to come over here and sort of cut my teeth and, and experience the game over here as well. No, I've always enjoyed rugby. Uh, when I was at Cal, um, you know, Cal wins the national championship every year in rugby, or it's pretty, you know, pretty high up in terms of college. And a bunch of guys I played football with would always go play rugby. And we'd go to all the games. And man, I always remember thinking like, man, I wish I got to play this sport as a kid. Like it just, to me, it just looked like such a more fluid game. You know, football is, uh, it's like a you know whole bunch of car wrecks, whereas this thing was more like NASCAR, <laughs> where like, you know, there was a lot of like Rubbins racing type of stuff, but I just uh, really enjoyed the game. And I, you know, the fact that people have this ability to display athleticism and pitch a guy out and it was really, it was neat. And as a big dude, you get to touch the ball on occasion. <laughs> you know, whereas yeah, like, yeah. I, yeah, the fame, yeah, yeah, I like, I drop some tricky shit to get John Wellborn with the ball, right? Dude, um, one time uh, the, the quarterback fumbled the ball and it bounced up into my hands. <laughs> and I like had this like split second vision of me like running for a touchdown. And uh, I swear, like 
everybody on their team, everybody on my team, I think people off the sideline, everybody hit me at once. And like, I felt like, like knocked the wind out of me, disoriented. I got up and I'm like, I'm never touching that thing again. And then next time yeah. I saw a fumble, I kicked it out of bounds. I was like, I don't want to touch that thing. Yeah. So it's, it, pretty, much, <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty much the same when we get the ball. It's like, uh, you know, you're in the zone, you're in the game and you get the ball and it's like suddenly you feel all the eyes of the crowd on you. Shit, what am I supposed to do this thing? But I suppose, uh, as a front rower, the unfortunate thing is you're always running into walls. You know, there's not a lot of space, and um, unfortunately, you're not fast enough to get through the gaps. So, yeah, you're always running into two or three guys trying to smash you, as opposed to the guys at the back who've got some speed and can, uh, you know, get some get through some holes and and beat guys in pace. But, yeah, yeah, but you're. Uh, uh, I've, I've watched you. Uh, I've, I've watched you guys when you were at the All Blacks, and um, just because I remember getting an email from your dad and kind of knowing who you guys were, and the fact that you guys owned a CrossFit gym and all that, and I remember watching. But I just remember thinking how much bigger you guys were than everybody else. Where I was like, man, those look like uh, dudes. That, I mean, because you're six three, six four. No, I'm, not, I'm actually a smaller, a smaller prop, probably on the international stage. I'm close to six one and. Oh. 120 kilo, I suppose that's around 260 pounds. Uh, you just, um, you looked bigger out there. You guys were like yeah. uh, <laughs> more, more physical, like looked like you were trying to play uh, American football in rugby, like putting your heads down and like, you know, like as you know, normally we see the guys, pain. well, we see guys play rugby. They kind of, you know, they do the rugby tackle with the shoulder. And I remember seeing uh, you or your brother, like putting your head into a guy where I was like, Ooh, that's a good hit. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that, that, clip you might have seen where I actually did hit a guy with my head and ended up uh, fracturing his um, <laughs> his eye socket. But that week, because I've been a big football fan, me and my brother, we both watch it and, uh, you know, we watch the tackles um, on YouTube and the rest of it. But we noticed the biggest collisions I saw is when guys get their head really close to the other person's head. So that was actually something I was – I knew it was dangerous, but I was actually trying to practice because I thought I could get the most out of it. <laughs> well, the, the, the only difference is, is um, you know, the helmets weigh between six and eight pounds. So they're, you know, two and a half kilos, you know, 2.2 kilos. So, you know, it's three kilos somewhere in there. And uh, what's funny is they, I think they thought that that was going to protect people. All it was was a weapon. I mean, the fact that I could like launch my body and then have this eight pound, like hard candy shell on my head and then launch it into somebody else's and then just figure out like, Hey, I'm going to hit them as, as hard as I can as many times until they give up. And, uh, yeah, well, uh you know, so like, the, um, you had to go out there and to put your head into somebody is, yeah. I mean, that's gotta be a little shocking to some of those guys. And then you shatter the yeah, orbital. <laughs> yeah, well, I haven't repeated that tackle too many times since because it, uh, it, it about it about ended me as well. And as you can tell by my nose, it's been broken about six or seven times. So, uh, yeah, I think it is safer to, to tackle around the legs or, or a bit higher. Um, but uh, it was a good experience. <laughs> <laughs> no, you do. You you got a nice uh, nice scar across the front. I was going to ask you if you recently had a collision, but now I'm looking at it. I'm like, no, nah, you probably just got a good scar. No, actually, yeah, got stood on on my nose, took a chunk out of it, but no, the old eyes and uh, definitely had their fair share of scars and all the rest of it, but yeah, so, it's all part of the fun. So if um, if the the game in the Southern Hemisphere is, is uh, like a bigger, more physical game, and then you go up and you play in the UK and that kind of deal in the Northern Hemisphere, and that's more of a speed game, um, has your style of play influenced them? Have... Uh, are you like? Uh, are they now trying to recruit different sizes or different kind of? You know, I guess you could say like almost like a bruiser type player to come in. 
Um, I was the opposite way around, I suppose, or the per- perception is like the nor- northern hemisphere would be the probably the bit bigger guys and maybe a little slower paced uh, set piece, but um, not really. Like I've just tried to come here and sort of, I suppose, earn my stripes first before I can maybe contribute contribute with my past experiences from the the southern hemisphere game. Maybe I think it would be the wrong kind of look to come over here and say, well. Uh, you know, this is how we've done things back here. Um, so, yeah, I've really just tried to settle in as best as I can and, and, and learn off the guys around me because they've been playing this competition, uh, you know, for a long time and um, uh, settle in that way. Um, yeah, uh, and it has been. It's, it's been quite tough. It's, it's a little different to what I'm used to, but um, sort of just starting to find my feet. In the States... Um there's a lot of sports where early specialization takes precedence if you really want to thrive and be like a, a main stage player. And it sounds like, you know, it's the national pastime in New Zealand. So that's going to, it's got to be early specialization, right? Like, so you're, you're playing since you said you were six, seven, eight, things got serious at 12. Well, right? if, uh, when we drove around New Zealand, he's right. Like, I mean, there's rugby pitches everywhere. Like we were driving and there was like, you know, like we saw a team and then we went to another field and there was just like, look like 75 kids out there just trying mm-hmm. to play. And I'm going to, I'm going to date myself, but uh, when we were in elementary school, we used to play the game called Smear the Queer. Yeah. Which probably is no longer politi- politically correct to call it. Uh, but, like, it reminded me of just, like, um, one kid running with the ball and everybody trying to kill him. Yep. Oh, yeah. And uh, like, I, yeah. I, I remember we, we drove down by the beach. You remember we went to that, um, that restaurant that, uh, near that ice cream place. Yeah, right, right off the water. Yeah, right off the water. And I remember there was like a rugby pitch. You, as we were, you remember the ice cream. That's hilarious. I, dude, it was, uh, <laughs> we drove, like, this is our, our New Zealand. Like, we're driving, and there's like a line of like 20 people outside this place. And I'm like, what's that place? And pull over. So we go stand in line, and then like after a few minutes, we're like, uh, what's up there? They're like, oh, it's ice cream. I'm like, I guess we're having ice cream. So that's uh, pretty standard. If you see a big line, you got to probably just go figure out what it is. It could have been the bank, too, but. But jumping back, is, yeah, no, it is like that. Is is early yeah, specialization? I mean, is there any caution now, like in the modern day, and accessibility to some of the like the thought leaders in strength and conditioning or sports performance? Is any of that hidden in New Zealand or within the rugby space? Uh, it has, yeah. I think the it's a bit controversial back in New Zealand at the moment, but they've stripped. Uh, so I suppose, like you said, you know from probably 12, 13 up, they start picking representative teams, you know, to represent your your province. And um, that's where your journey will start. Now they're stripping those. Uh, they just, because I think participation levels are down amongst kids. And, uh, they think it might be better for kids to play a lot of different sports from a younger age. And um, I suppose take away the, I wouldn't say competition, but, you know, the kids getting disheartened who don't make the, yeah, the local rep team at, at a young age, which I'm, I'm not sure I agree with, but um, that's sort of the way way it's going. But you know, in New Zealand, growing up, uh, you know, it's a it's a pretty warm climate, and kids are always outside playing. You know, not, not just rugby, but like you said, the the game you're playing in school that's uh, that's called bull rush back home, and I can remember playing that in school. You know, from when I can remember where, you know, there's a couple of kids in the middle and everyone else is trying to run through them and you try to smash people. <laughs> so, so, this is the best. When you're you know, indestructible, right? Like some of the hits you well, take. Well, the, the, the thing which always makes me laugh, especially is um, like I, with my own kids now, like my girls are eight, my little boy is almost four, but uh, I like see, I, like I'll see them crash. Like I watched my daughter wipe out on her bike the other day 
And as she like went down, she like uh, laid it out this way. Like she hit some um, like a kind of a wet patch. It was kind of slick. She slipped it. And as she went down, she bounced like four times. And like I got this sick feeling in my stomach, like not necessarily for her, but if that was me, um, I'd probably be dead. Like I would have broken something. <laughs> this she like gets up and is crying. I'm like, oh, you're okay, you're okay, you're fine. And then like you know, a few minutes later, I'm like, is anything? Eh, no, she's fine. Yeah. And I'm just like, up. yeah. I was like, man, this, that was like you know, you take these salacious hits and you get up and you're like, no, everybody's fine. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about that hanging. I, I hung some market lights on my back patio, and uh, <laughs> as you guys know, when it comes to like hanging things. I like to kind of ride the guardrails. Oh, you like literally the, the stay off the top step. No, I go straight to the top step. Like, let's do it. Yeah. Let's get, let's get one foot and some flip flops. Hey, yeah. hey, toss me that knife. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Toss me multiple steak knives. And I was on like a four foot ladder for a 12 or a five foot ladder for a 12 foot reach. So it was like already stressing. And I'm right on the edge of like the seven Seeing foot. as you're four feet tall. So you really, you know, with short arms. Who are you talking? I'm four seven. <laughs> Centi- Centi- centimeters, guys. Metric system over here. <laughs> but I'm falling. I'm I'm on my the the drop off my back patio is like two meters. How's that? That's only that's only six. That's only yeah. It's six six. Yeah, six seven. Seven plus another four feet, and like I kind of do a one of these, right? Like I'm oh, you get that feeling like you're about to go, and I'm looking down. I'm like, well, okay. So I got a railing I'd fall on, and then there'd be grass, and I'm like, I think I think I'd be fine, even if I landed in the worst way. Like the railing's gonna slow me down. And then even if I land on my head on the grass, like, it can't be that bad. Well, you got a swamp back there, so yeah. you'll be fine. It's, it's new turf. But, oh. like, it's funny that you, like, my thoughts are I'll be fine. Even on that, that you're talking about, was it Jamie or Kelly? It was wrecking, Kelly. Who, like, wrecking on a bike. I'm like, I think I could do that. I think I would survive that. Oh, man, she hit broken the dude, bones. Dude, when you saw how hard she hit, she, like, bounced, bounced, bounced. And I remember thinking, like... One bounce, I'd probably be okay. Because here's the thing, I wouldn't have bounced. Like, I wouldn't have bounced. Uh, Owen wasn't, wouldn't That's have bounced. That's true, the physics are a little... Yeah, we would have been like, thud. And then like, ah! Like, yeah. So, no, I'm, I'm with you, dude. But I, I'd have to say my bias is strongly driven by that Z-score on that DEXA skin. Like, I just believe that my bones are so dense they can't break. Well, they're not going to break, but like, maybe you just have internal bleeding because you do you do have weak inside organs. That's a good point. I never thought about that. You know, well, your, li- you've your liver created vulnerability well born. Your your liver would explode because you you know drink too many white claws. Yeah, well, I had ten white claws while hanging this stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, we forgot to mention you were drinking while carabining. Uh, uh, wait, wait, hold on. Uh, let me let me give you a backstory. Uh, part of our deal too on this podcast is making fun of each other. So you, you know, feel free to jump yeah, in at any time. <laughs> I'm sure you, you, you have a brother too, so you know the deal. Um, uh, they play that, yeah. Uh, like when when did you get into uh, like banging weights and strength training and that? I mean, is is that something that you know um, was prevalent early on, or is that really just kind of taken hold within the last you know ten years? No, it was prevalent early on for me and Ben. Um, in rugby, it's not that common. It's still a pretty young uh, sport in terms of professionalism. I think it's only been professional since 1995 or six. So it's still very much uh, the running kind of conditioning culture. Um, it's definitely getting a lot more prevalent now. But me and Ben started when we are both 13, 14, um, with a local bodybuilder in Christchurch for sort of two or three years and then um, dad brought us a membership to a local Olympic lifting gym um, and, and that's where we probably got our biggest space from we spent spent quite a while there and then sort of um, yeah kept, kept training from there but um, 
Yeah. Did, did you guys, always, train, did you guys always train together? You, you and Ben? Yeah, we have. Yeah, definitely. Is like some three, four. So he's your primary yeah. training partner, and that, so that's got to be like, is there sibling rivalry there? That's well, driven a lot of what's been going on. What's the age difference? Uh, it's almost four years. Yeah, it's uh, yeah a few years older than me. Um, yeah, there definitely was when we were younger, or when I started to catch up to him a little bit. Um, we're both pretty competitive. Uh, we've come come to blows a couple of times, you know, on the training field or <laughs> around up. <laughs> yeah, yes, but uh, not so much anymore. No, I think we're both a bit older and a bit, bit more mature now. But uh, yeah. So hang on. So a couple of times, you guys have kind of taken it to fisticuffs. So what's who's who's got the winning record there? Uh, we were both uh, really bad. I think uh, we were doing uh, mauling training. Um, I can't remember what happened. I think Ben sort of put me in a headlock and scratched my face and. I took offense to it and tried to, I don't know what you'd call it. I tried to name in the head. Um, I'm not sure you know what a mall is, but <laughs> if, yeah, rugby players out there will know what a mall is. It's pretty hard to do. And uh, we both got up and started throwing punches, probably through 10 at each other. I don't think any of them hit, but uh, everyone around us was uh, <laughs> a little nervous. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, was a little nervous I, for sure. I, uh, <laughs> um, I got two older brothers, and I, uh, I've, we've been in numerous fights, but I don't know if anybody's ever like kept. Not like yeah, taking it to, to victory or whatever. No, like I don't think anybody's ever kept score. Oh, okay. Like I, I like I just remember That's taking very shots. That's unwellborn. No, no. <laughs> this I, seems like I, a losing I, record. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think John's got a losing record. I'd love to get that on the horn. <laughs> At ping pong, he uh, he is uh, he has whooped my ass for fuck. My my brother and I have a um, uh, like a continuous ping pong game that's gone on for roughly thirty five years, and uh, yes. I've never beaten him in a in a like to twenty one like in a proper game. And uh, the hilarious part is, anytime we see ping pong, we're like, oh. And so, like any of our family trips or anything, like you're like, hey, we're thinking of going here. You guys want to come bring the family? And it's always uh, there's always a ping pong table at everywhere we go. And I'm like, do you pick these places on ping pong? He's like, 100%. He's like, I have to continually remind you how shitty you are at ping pong. So this year, I got a ping pong table for the office, and we play uh, to pretty so, regularly. Yeah, pretty regularly, so I can practice in one day of being able to un unseat my fucking brother. Uh, mm -hmm. That's one. <laughs> it's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, growing up, you make competitions out of you know just about anything you can think of, and yeah. Yeah, you don't want to lose two brothers. Sure. No, but it's it's good. I mean, without that sibling, yeah, it's critical. No, right? it, yeah, you got to have it. It's uh, like man, I like you know, I have twin daughters, and I like I see their level of competition, and it's uh, like not always a good thing. But um, I sometimes think for boys, especially in your environment, like you know, you guys go out and play, and uh, the people you're playing against are never going to be as big and strong and as aggressive as your brother is. And it's kind of like an interesting feeling being like, Bob, you know what? I like what I did in training is easier than what I'm seeing out here today. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's definitely uh, a reason why me and Ben have been successful, you know, cause we'd push each other, push each other so hard, um, you know, outside of rugby. When we were a bit older, we'd go down to the beach and literally just practice tackling, running straight at each other as hard as we could. And, um, you know, real, real meathead stuff, but it definitely served its, it served its purpose, you know, practicing scrummaging against each other and um, just having that competitive, you know, training partner with you all the time. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, I heard a rumor about you guys, and I can't remember if who were, I might have heard it from Ed Cosner that when you guys would go down to the beach, uh, your dad or you guys would uh, just find 
guys on the beach and be like, hey, do you want to try to tackle these guys? Yeah, not quite that. That was when it was over. Um, we had a couple of guys at the gym, uh, a couple of army boys actually, and um, they played rugby, not at a, not at the same level as me and Ben, but they were keen just to come come down and train, and <laughs> they loved it. <laughs> but they were literally yeah running straight at me and Ben and getting amongst it, and uh, you probably you, you probably could cut uh, skinny kiwi on the street and I'd, I'd be keen to come train you, yeah. come mix it up so. Yeah, no, yeah, that, 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 yeah, yeah I'm imagining like the Oklahoma drill, right? No, in, what I was kind of imagining is, is you guys going down to like the local beach with a ball and then just finding like random dudes on the beach and being you. like, <laughs> you're like, hey, uh, I got 20 bucks if you can tackle me. And then just like t- pitching them the ball and then like just trucking people and being like, who's next? And then just lining them up, which, yeah. you know, the nice thing you, about, uh, yeah, the nice thing about tackling on the beach is, uh, you know, the sand's so soft so they can't, can't step too far around you either. So it's, it's an easy shot. Well, when they make a movie about you and your brother, uh, you got to put that scene in, but we'll rewrite it a little better to where there's just like lined up like 50 dudes and you're just like lighting dudes up on the beach. That'll be in the... Again. In, in the, <laughs> Again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll go uh, ask the guys who are lined up for the ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. So what does your training look like now? I mean, is it uh, has it changed? I mean, are you still Olympic lifting, snatch, clean, and jerk? Or have you gotten into more kind of um, athletic training? And, you know, like how does it differ from what you were doing in New Zealand versus now here you up in the UK? Definitely more athletic, a lot, a lot more smarter with my training now. Um, when I was younger, I probably didn't trust a lot of the S&C guys that were around the rugby teams earlier on just because in New Zealand um, – the SNC coaches mainly come from endurance type background. Not a lot of them actually lifted. So it's probably a little bit arrogant in that sense. And um, I really love my Olympic lifting and basically just lifting heavy, so, uh, which worked up until about the midpoint of my career when you, know, you start getting a bit older and you don't, don't recover as fast and uh, body started breaking down a little bit. And that's um, when I started you know, training. Um, ben was training with Ed Coslin, gave him some really good benefit out of that so got alongside Ben and was um, um, using Ed's programs which are awesome and then uh, eventually got into a, a guy Kev Toonan in Sydney as well who I think um, um, follow, follows, you, follows you guys and uh, yeah so my training's a lot smarter now, a lot more performance based and I suppose not so ego driven um, actually more about what's best for my body and performing on the weekend as opposed to um, what's going to make me feel good. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the ego thing, uh, as my dad used to tell me, ego's killed more people than cancer. And like, you know, like ego is, uh, for, you know, for young guys that haven't been knocked down pretty good, but then you get a little bit older, you get knocked down a little bit, or you're having some issues and you're like, I'm not going to run over there and try to fucking set myself on fire. I need to be a little more strategic, a little smarter. Yeah. Out of like sheer principle. Well, like, just you know, like, out of survival. And then yeah. all of a sudden you're like, man, like I can't burn the candle and I can't mess myself up. But the, um, the interesting thing, and this has just kind of happened within the last maybe 10 years or so, maybe more, but uh, Australia has really uh, put a ton of like, you know, both, you know, like uh, uh, as a nation, but also private sector yeah. into this idea of like research and sport and performance. But it's very research uh, lab based, not uh-huh. necessarily as much like practical, like practical based. Yeah, it, it is fascinating that they are going all in on the science side of things like the, the saber metrics, the approach that sports teams are taking in the United States. They're applying to S&C and performance, endurance, power and all these measurables. So I found it interesting and um, 
didn't you help out some strength and conditioning? Yeah. And um, yeah, we wrote. Uh, I wrote a program for the guys uh, that were uh, Aussie Rules hit me up in uh, Alad- um, Alad- Adelaide. Adelaide, does that sound right? That's um, it. Yeah. yeah, Adelaide. So these guys. I mean, this is over ten years ago, maybe nine years ago, ten years ago. But these guys hit me up and, um, hey, can you help us out? And I was like, well, I don't really know a ton about your game, but like, you know, hey, send me some some game film. And so they sent me a whole bunch of clips, and I watched these games, and like, I was. First of all, I was blown away by how fast the guys were, but not only how much they were running and the volume of running and like the dynamic nature of it. I was like, man, this is uh, like, you know, what's the average guy running? And they're like, oh, it's somewhere between like three and seven kilometers a game. I was like, oh, my God, these guys are like it, to me, it was it was a pretty, um, pretty interesting, like not like I, I guess the physicality is one thing, but just the sheer endurance kind of like glycolytic base. And I was like, man, this is crazy. Uh, what is, what does the training look like? And the training was exactly like the game. Everything was like classic, like, you know, three sets of 10, three sets of 12, you know, submaximal volume. And, um, I, like when I sent the guy the program, it was like, you know, singles, doubles and triples, you know, everything was over 85%. It was uh, a lot of, um, post act, uh, post activation potentiation stuff. Like, Hey, I want you to do a heavy triple. Then we're going to jump and sprint. And it was all kind of based within these little blocks. And so the guy gets the program calls me and is like, dude, I'm going to get fired if I bring this program to the team. Yeah, because they, they had like an injury rate issue, right? Yeah. He had to present. He had to present his solution right. to reduce injury rate. And he's like, he's like, this is so different than what we're doing. Uh, anybody else in the country is doing. And like, it's a huge deal. Like, are, you know, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, man, this is what I would do. Like, why are you guys continuing to do to go in the weight room and kind of like train the same energy system. You guys are doing nothing in terms of top end explosive work. You're not sprinting. You're not doing anything dynamic in terms of max effort. And, uh, he kind of was like, okay. And he went and presented it and they were like, you know, booing. I imagine they were booing and throwing things at him. Tomatoes. Yeah. Tomatoes. Frogs. And, uh, they allowed him to implement the program and their injury rate went from like, I think it was like 27 down to 3%. And all of a sudden they like won, like, you know, within two years, they, they were the top team. And uh, they were like, you know, cheering this guy as this like, you know, hallmark individual that was going to, you know, change everything. And uh, I just remember him being like, man, uh, this was like a big leap of faith. But I think it's interesting. And um, people are so set in what other people are doing. And, hey, this is what the research says. But at the end of the day, man, there has to be some inherent understanding of the demands of the game. And the only people that really understand that, I mean, it's tough to understand that from a lab. I mean. Uh, you know, I could pretend to understand rugby, but I've never really played the game. I mean, the game I played was a, um, you know, a variation, but a, just such a different, you know, demand of the athlete, you know, so it's, uh, it, it, it's really cool to see. And I, every time I watch it, um, I love it. I, I think it's like a, a game that not only do I want my kids to play, but I wish I got to play when I was a kid. But like you said, man, like there was, uh, for us, I mean, it was either you play basketball, you play baseball, you play football and, um, and soccer then, and, and uh, soccer a little bit, but the, or or you go to the beach and you surf. Mm-hmm. You know <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, I think that was a mindset for me and Ben as well. We always just wanted to do what we thought would, uh, you know, be best for our position for scrummaging, which is a I suppose quite a strength. Um, I suppose a bit like being the offensive line, you need to be strong and powerful. So we always tailored our training around that. I suppose the biggest difference for me over the last couple of years. Um, training with Ed and, and now Kev is that I've just got some proper structure to the program. Um, you know, I, I used to just think that power for me was, uh, like you said, snatch, clean and jerk. And uh, yeah, so it's more 
being open to actually you can you know you can do a trap bar jump or uh, you know maple throws things like that and then um yeah like you mentioned my, my injury rate's gone way down i hold my strength a lot better through through the season now so um yeah it's, it's, it's definitely been really good how, how many games a week do you guys play in the, during season one week or like one game or uh, one a week, yeah. I think any. Sometimes you have short turnarounds where you you only get five days, sort of in between. But uh, you you can do it every now and then. But I think one one week would be the minimum. <laughs> a bit like football, you know, you you get to a Monday and you probably get to a Tuesday before you start feeling okay again. And then by the time it's Thursday, Friday, your body's ready to play another game, and then you repeat the cycle and and sort of work your training around that and then yeah, try and be as consistent as you can. I wouldn't bench heavy until Friday. Uh, it took me like, you know, playing on Sunday to Friday to actually feel better enough in my upper body to actually lift heavy to bench heavy. Like I'd squat heavy on, on like a Monday or a Tuesday, but like I couldn't even really make fists until like a Wednesday. And then by like Friday, I was like, Oh, I feel pretty good. And then I could bench and yeah. do some stuff. Yeah. Much the same. Um, we'll typically do a heavy, heavy lower on a Monday and then sort of Tuesday will be upper and then power later in the week. But, um, Yes, a lot of it is you got to see how you pull up after the game and uh, see if you can actually do a full week of training first and then if you can, good to go. Otherwise, you have to sort of mix and match sometimes. So yeah, I suppose you have to be a little flexible as well. So at 6'1", 265, uh, are you one of the bigger guys or uh, are there guys bigger than you out there? Funnily enough, uh, some of the biggest guys in rugby are actually the wingers now, You know, they, which would probably be, I suppose, be the receivers in football, but Man, there's some massive guys like some Fijians and uh, are typically Islanders. Um, we've got a guy on our team, uh, Tengeli's 140 kilo. I'm not sure what that would have been pounds. Uh, he'd probably be 6'3", and he's you know, he'd be one of the fastest guys on the team. <laughs> yeah, <we laughs> so you get those free. Well, 140's uh, 308. Yeah. Yeah, uh, 227 is 300. So, yeah, 308. But yeah, so... Are the big guys just allowed to be fast now? Like there's speed training that's available instead of being like big guy inside? No, I think it's uh, um, global warming. Oh, good point. Yeah. <laughs> so are they exposed to sevens? So is a shorter, just more opportunity, open space in sevens earlier that then puts them oh. in the potential to learn how to run no, fast? No, no, it's global warming. So the dinosaurs existed. When it was really hot, are you sure the dinosaurs are on the other half of the coin? Is no, it global so warming or the methane from bovine animals. Well, no, so so during the time of the dinosaurs, methane was about ten times higher concentrations you in were this there? country. Uh, Measuring in, it. I'm sorry, on, on this earth, and actually that CO2 is what created the rich environment that allowed for these monsters. So I'm thinking as the earth is warming, whether it be man-made or in that is allowing mm -hmm. bigger Fijians to run. Fast. So you were around with dinosaurs. Just say yes. <laughs> I don't believe you. But there, there's a uh, no. Never mind. I don't know where that hole in the ozone. Remember, there used to be this big hole. Spaceballs. That, that was BS. Don't you remember? That was her whole thing to try. You remember that the hole in the ozone, and then it went away. We never heard about that. They also said in the '80s that the world was going to end in 10 years in the '90s. Yeah, Doomsday Clock. It basically did. With the movie, you talking cinema? Are you talking yeah. about that? <laughs> There's been no good movies since the '90s. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. 1994. Everything's superhero. You know, it's just a bunch of unrealistic CGI that I love. Don't get me wrong; it's great, but there's no good soapbox, just like what, dramas, like, like Shawshank Redemption type. Yes, movies? that is my jam. I love it. Point Break. 
also a drama. <laughs> it is. It's a bromance. Okay. Hold, hold on. So so now that uh, <laughs> I think Thanks, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, dude, this is this to me is super fascinating. Like um, I'm always like like we got to wrap with the dude about NASCAR. So I'm always amazed at people that. Um, uh, are able to you know that do sports that I didn't do like to, to do things with mastery but I I think I saw uh it was a clip of like one of the he was a NFL guy or like a college sprinter or something from the U.S. that plays on the U.S. team that uh he's a sevens guy oh yeah. my god they pitched I mean he's big too and they pitched him the ball and <laughs> like the dude literally was running past guys like looked like they were standing still and it's just it's interesting now that you see these big guys that are moving as fast as they are. And I think it just comes down. For, it's like the four minute mile thing where, right. you know, like nobody could break the four minute mile. The guy breaks it. Then the next year, 28 people break four minute mile. It's like getting permission to and you just Car do it. Carlin Isles, 5'8", 165 pounds, 75 kilograms. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's why the USA Sevens team do so well, because they got the they got those athletes who can probably uh, sevens is a bit different to. 15s, you probably don't need the same skill set, or you know, you can get away with not having a having played the game from a young age, and then just just jump over. So those athletes can really, um, you know, make the most of their their speed and size, which is why why they do pretty well. Well, the um, just playing the game from as long as you guys have, I mean, the uh, like like the the field vision and the intrinsic understanding of positioning and all that. I mean, there's no way to really replicate that without actually the volume of yeah, time and the reps yourself. of playing. Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, I, it's it, here in the U S there's this huge uh, argument going on against the specialization of sport. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, like, because things become so competitive, like now at like six years old, uh, like my daughters went and played soccer and they, you know, uh, these coaches wanted them to play on a traveling team at six years old where they traveled like every weekend to go play soccer games and they want them to play soccer all year round. And I'm like, we're not doing that. But the yeah, uh, so, so now there's like this huge specialization where if kids can throw baseballs, uh, that's all they do is throw the baseball and they don't play any other sports. And so now they're seeing a ton of injuries like uh, I got my shoulder scoped five weeks ago. And when I was down at um, in Florida at Dr. Andrews place, uh, Andrews Institute, as they were, you know, the day after surgery, they're taking off the bandages, looking at everything and a kid crutches in at 10 years old who had just had his ACL repaired. And I'm looking at this that's kid. Crazy. And, yeah, like I. What are you doing at 10 years old? Like we were talking about kids bounce their rubber. I mean, think about the input uh, collisions we had at 10 and this kid's got a torn ACL. And, uh, you know, I would have loved to have grilled the parents, but they just didn't seem like they were in a in the place. They were like pretty upset for me just to like lambaste them on like what they're doing to you know mess their kid up. And hey. I was like, hey, what's he doing for his training? You know, like, what are you doing? But it's, uh, so now there's all of this information talking about against the specialization of sport. But if you look at, Countries like New Zealand, yeah. you know, where, you know, the national pastime is rugby and this is what people watch and kids play. And this is really, you know, just the, you know. And I think the sport is dynamic enough to lend itself to a higher likelihood of athleticism. And yeah, that's what I was going to say. Oh, yeah. There's more create. Yeah, well, there's more creativity versus problem solving. Repetitive mm -hmm. movement. Yeah, it's not like just throwing a baseball volleyball, over and over. Volleyball, volleyball as well. Baseball, volleyball, yeah. but, you know. And I suppose, uh, you know, if you if you are specialising, you know, you've got to make it fun for the kid. If, you, if you're driving into them from that early age, they're going to do rep after rep and, you know, it becomes like a job. That, you know, I don't, I don't, 
I'm not sure, but I assume it would just become like a job, and they'll probably end up turning against you. Um, well, you, you, you know, if, life, how, how did you, how did your dad manage to make it fun, and how did you guys avoid it feeling like a job? Well, it was just fun because that's what all your friends are doing. But it wasn't really till we're older that it became a little more serious, you know. Um, like I said before, it's, it's just the lifestyle. All your friends are doing it. You know, you get together at the club rooms afterwards. You, you know, you get a can of Coke and a pie or whatever and, you, <laughs> you know, celebrate playing, you know, rugby with your friends. And, you know, as you get older, it's not really until high school that you start taking it a bit more seriously. But um, it was never, you know, dad, I suppose, compared to most would be a little hard on us, but his criticism was never, you know, to make us feel bad or to put us down. It was always constructive. And if he did give us criticism, it would always be with a purpose, you know, maybe you didn't do this so well, but if we train this way, you can get better at it. Um, you know, me and Ben went, you know, if you saw us play from a young age, we definitely would have been, wouldn't have been earmarked as future All Blacks or professional rugby players. Um, we both athletically probably weren't the best, but I suppose we all, we always had someone behind us who was pushing us to get better, um, uh, giving us ways to get better, you know, through training and, and weights and things like that. So there was always a, a vision, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. And um, I remember him always saying to us when we were younger, you know, because uh, there were bigger kids who were making the rep teams or, you know, things like that. You know, if you just stick at it, you keep training, you'll, en- you'll end up overtaking these guys, you know, through obviously through commitment and that. And hard work and the rest of it and um you know i'm trying to do the same with my son now you know he's only four but just getting him involved in different sports uh he's doing a bit of judo i think he's starting tennis next week and um you know i want him to be active and and do a little training but i don't want it to become not fun for him and if i do sense a bit of that i'll, I'll pull it back you know if i say yeah, because even now I've got a couple of med balls and a kettlebell at home, you know, just light loads. And, you know, I just encourage him to throw them around and, you know, to run fast. And if I ever sense that, you know, he's getting sick of it or getting sick of me telling him what to do, then I just totally back off. So is there, is we'll see like how it goes when, when uh, he gets older. margin there, do you think, John? Well, like- I'll, I'll, uh, he hit on something really good when he uh, – this is something that um, universally is true. Uh, when I found out I was having – uh, twin girls, I kind of reached out to a whole bunch of dads that I knew that were like very successful in what they've done. And um, was just really interested to talk to them about fatherhood. And I kind of did this like little research project and I talked to maybe 10 or 12 uh, individuals that were like at the pinnacle of what they had done in terms of like business or, you know, doctors and lawyers and whatnot. And uh, every one of them, when I asked them about their kids, um, all the or the dads that all had children that were very successful all said the same thing. I think I was too hard on my children. If I could go back, I wouldn't be as hard on them. I think uh, I, I definitely was too hard on them. And then I talked to other dads who were also very successful, whose kids, you know, got into drugs and were fuck ups or just hadn't. That's two. Um, hadn't uh, really had success the way that they probably should have with the opportunities given to them. And every one of them was like, I should have been harder on my kids. I shouldn't have been their friend. I should have pushed them. Uh, you know, I was, I was more worried about being their buddy than being their dad. And, uh, you know, when I saw trouble, I should have been harder on my kids. And it was like, uh, it was like a verbatim universal. I mean, one of the guys I talked to who was a, a really, really uh, accomplished doctor actually teared up. We were on a Skype call and he like started crying. He's like, I was too hard on my kids. And I'm like, 
And like his son was like a judge. The other one was a lawyer. And I think his daughter was a doctor. So they had all like, you know, two kids had gone to law school. The other one was a doctor and they were all very successful. And he had a great relationship with them. He's just like, I was too hard on my kids when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking like, I would much rather look back and be like, man, because my parents are hard on me too. I mean, I've told these guys stories that they probably think I'm making them up. But I mean, that was just kind of how it was. So I think I would feel, and I know this is kind of crazy because as a, you know, as a dad, you, you know, you want your kids to, you know, have this great life and this. And I, I always kind of temper this with like, how much friendship do I really want to have? Like, is, is it more important? I don't want to sit back and look, you know, 20 years from now and be like, man, I should have been harder on them. And I think it, but it's a balancing act, right? Between like fostering. So being careful not to foster like contempt for the game, but also applying pressure in a positive way to stress to progress, right? Because if you, like you're saying, oh, and if you're like, grab that kettlebell and swing it a hundred times and they're crying and they're bleeding, like they're never going to touch the kettlebell again. <laughs> but if there's a way to balance that, I don't, like, well, what do I know? Unless, I got little... unless it's your brother, right? Because that's, that's, <laughs> that's how it happened with us, where it was like, hey, put on, you know, uh, to put on these boxing gloves and like punch each other in the face until somebody gives up. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, we would uh, just the amount of stupid things we did were goaded because of, you know, your, and that's why I like, I, I got two girls and a little boy and I'm always kind of sad that I was telling my wife, I'm like, man, we probably should have another one just so the fact we can even the numbers out because <laughs> I feel bad for my little boy. I'm like, you roll the dice and another girl. Oh uh, yeah. You're that's, done, buddy. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not coming over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's sometimes some of the toughest uh, kids who grow up with two older sisters, you know, but the, uh, the one thing which I appreciate about rugby and like is the just kind of the athletic fluid nature of it and the fact that, you know, uh, everybody's kind of moving. Whereas I think uh, so many of the sports that, you know, I mean, like basketball is kind of like this. Yeah. We're like, you know, like basketball, uh, lacrosse, soccer, rugby. Yeah. Like like you're moving in space, whereas, you know, and um, what I liked about football, especially my position was uh, I just got to go out and beat a dude's ass for three hours. That's all I really wanted. I didn't care about touching the ball. I didn't uh, I didn't even care about anything else like whatever. I'm like, I just was focused on. I get to one-on-one fight this dude and they're going to pay me money to do it. I'm in. So, I think uh, it, yeah, was it's essentially me. the same. Yeah. <laughs> like in, in the position me and Ben play, you know, <laughs> we're not going to see the ball too much, but scrummaging, it's, uh, it's quite primal. You know, you've got eight guys, uh, working against the other pack and, you know, you're trying to push each other off the ball. You know, it's, it's so simple, but there's something, uh, you know, primal there that makes you want to dominate. And, you know, it's, it's the main part of the game for us. And, and also tackling people is the, the other big, uh, I suppose, thing that we enjoy because you, you, know, you get to try to smash someone. <laughs> yeah. To, it's quite funny when you think about it to commit your whole life to, to something so simple, but I suppose it's the uh, it's the pursuit of trying to get better and, uh, you know, being physically dominant and, and training every day, the lifestyle with that as well. It's, uh, yeah, like I said, it's a great sport. And uh, I suppose the good thing about rugby as well, is you can be, I suppose, an average athlete like me and, and work really hard and st- still get to the top and, uh, and make a career out of it. Were there any players that, um, you know, I mean, I, uh, the All Blacks have such a storied history of these, you know, like kind of legendary characters. I'm just wondering, is there anybody um, that you've played with, especially at the All Blacks, that were, you know, super influential? You looked at and you're like, man, that guy was better than everybody else or just, a, you know, really somebody to emulate? Uh, outside of my brother, obviously, because, you know, like I said, we grew up with each other and I, I pretty much just tried to follow his path and, and, and try to be a little bit better <laughs> was my mindset because he was, uh, you know, so successful from a young age. I thought if I could just do the same as him and, and try to do it better, 
I'll be good. But uh, there's a guy, Brad Thorne, um, who I started playing with earlier in my career. He was a, a cross-code player, so he played league as well. That's where he, he started out as, and then he came over to rugby. But um, And he only just retired a years ago at the age of 41 or, or 42. But he was an awesome professional, um, you know, loved his gym, um, did everything you should as a professional athlete, but uh, just totally dominant on the field as well. Um, in the scrum, he was the guy who pushes behind me, and uh, he just loved it. Um, so th- there's no better guy that I could start my career with for, for a young player because, you know, not only could I learn off him what it was like to, you know, be a top professional, but he's also the guy who's given me the power in the scrum, who's, who's pushing behind me, who I know is, you know, going to give 110%, you know, every time we we play. So, yeah, he had a big influence on me earlier in my career, for sure. I got a quick question on on leadership. You spoke to a, a teammate that provided you some guidance. And in American sport, football especially, there's this emphasis on captains and leaders within each sides of the ball. And in basketball, almost where one individual can dominate and own the team, they're looked to not to be a leader. They're just looked to perform. So what is the culture of leadership within the sport of rugby that, that you have and sub question, how did that translate and transfer to now you're playing all, all the way across the world? Is it different? Uh, it is different. It is a little bit different, yeah. And um, in the All Blacks, it was, uh, and the Crusaders actually, it was a very, very much team first um, attitude. So, you know, in every team, you're going to have your superstars, but they always tried to make it about the team first. Um, you know, there's a famous saying, you know, uh, a team of champions will, oh no, a champion team will always be the team of champions. <laughs> that was something that kind of the Crusaders lived by. So, uh, you know, it would come through things like selection. You know, if, if you're not selected, there's no, uh, there's no sulking, there's no whinging to teammates. Uh, you know, if you've got a gripe, you go to the, to one of the leaders or the coaches first, you don't, you know, so you don't create that toxic culture. Um, same thing on the field, you'll have leaders in each position. So um, when you come in for a huddle and, uh, you know, you've got to break and play, there'll, there'll be certain people who are designated to talk and give the messages um, that are sometimes coming down from the coaches as well. So I suppose there's a hierarchy and you know who to listen to and um, so you don't get a whole bunch of mixed messages and confusion. Um, team disciplines always dealt through the the senior members of the team first before the coaches and if it's something more serious it will go to the co- coaches and beyond so um yeah leadership's huge in rugby and it's uh, it's similar over here in the uk as well there's just a couple little subtle subtle differences um for sure but yeah r- rugby is a very much uh, a, a team first um game sounds like it's player governor too yeah, that's really it is, yeah, it's, it's, it's very player driven. Yeah, the coaches uh, have a lot of influence earlier in the week through trainings and messages and things. And as the closer you get to the game, it's very much player led. And the players, you know, take ownership of the plan going onto the field. And, you know, you also take ownership if it doesn't go, go right as well. Well, it's not like, um, you know, you got some coach in your ear yelling at you, you know, on a headset, you know, talking, you know, calling plays or whatnot. You guys probably understand the game plan. And the coach is probably standing there on the other side and you're probably not talking to him unless you're out of the game 
or, you know, halftime yeah. or, you know, the breaks? Pretty much. I think it's, uh, yeah, I think, I think you're lucky in that, in that respect in rugby is the coaches can't have that influence on the field. You know, you've got to wait till half time till everyone's uh, calmed down and they can no, deliver the, the messages. And, like, you can yeah. the sideline, you got this code. And I, and I would always uh, tell the coach, I'm like, there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's no coaching on game day. Like don't. No, like, well, I think, yeah. Yeah. Like uh, these think, coaches used to try to come over and work with, and I remember one of our young guys was playing and the coach was over there trying to like talk to him about technique. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, uh, you know, like he's not going to absorb anything in this environment that's going to help him. All you do is fuck him up. Just, you know, encourage him, tell him what to do. Like, hey, get this dude and, you know, like, I don't know, use some shitty football cliches. Yeah. You know, like don't talk go, strategy like, and mindset. <laughs> no, like uh, the minutia, right? No, football coaches are the worst on game day. They're all stressed out and they just start screaming random cliches like, fight your ass off. You know, and like stupid <laughs> shit where you're like, God damn it. You're a warrior. Yeah. Yeah. Go out there in the trenches and fight the war. And you're like, yo, man, shut up. Like I, I know because uh, yeah, the silly thing about that is you know you can say all the best bravado talk before the game, but once the whistle starts and you know your heart rate's up near fucking two hundred, all that shit doesn't <laughs> count for anything. So it's like, yeah, you're exactly right. You know, you get that talk before the game, and in your head you're just like, fuck, shut up. <laughs> well, <laughs> my favorite was the dudes that seemed to like have the most to say during the game were the dudes that like never seemed to do as much as they should have on the, you know, on, uh, like during the game. Mm -hmm. So you get these dudes over there being like, you know, like want to stand up and give you some like inspirational talk. And yet they go out on the very first play and get pancaked and murdered. And like, so it, you're like, ah, oh, shut up. Oh, and is that a thing? Is that a thing on the, on the rugby pregame ritual as well? <laughs> do people like kind of feel compelled to stand up and provide the, the yell leader? Oh God, I hate that dude. Like <laughs> A little bit, but not too much. Like the, the best teams I've been a part of is where the, the messages are all very, uh, I suppose, non-emotional. You know, they're all, you know, clear, simple messages because as John says, you know, you get on the field and it's, uh, it's all the haze from there. So you just want to, you just want simple things in your head um, because, yeah, you, when you're out in the field, you're not going to remember a big pump-up speech before the game, you know. <laughs> oh, talk, take me through, like, a game day for you, right? So, like, what, what's what's your ritual, man? What's it like? When do you get to the field? What goes uh, on? Stuff like that? Game day, yes. Yeah. So if we're playing night game, uh, I try to treat the first half of the day as if it was just a normal day so I don't get too stressed out thinking about it, you know, go do something with the kids in the morning, just – uh, completely forget about it and then sort of after lunch uh, slowly start to get into game mode typically try distance myself from the kids and the family so um, they don't annoy me or I don't annoy them uh, sort of five to six hours before the game I try to get a primer in well I will get a primer in um, you know when you're waiting around the whole day for a game at night you know you tend to feel a little bit lethargic so um, like to get into the gym and do like a, a med ball routine just fire up the central nervous system and, and feel sharp. And then you sort of go into your routine from there. A couple of hours out, you'll meet up as a group and, you know, the coaches might have a chat and you'll talk about, you know, the tactics or the game plan for the day. And I suppose an hour and a half before you get to the stadium and you're pretty well into it um, from there in terms of uh, strapping, warming up, getting your body ready and yeah, getting ready for the field. Are you getting, uh, you, you got headphones in, you'd listen to some music? Yeah, uh, no, yeah, like they, on, uh, on game day, on game day. Like, oh, what, sorry. What are you pumping? <laughs> you pumping some what? Like, uh, if he was listening to music while he was talking to us and just yeah, like, yeah. he sees our mouth moving like, uh, 
What are we thinking? Hang on, hang on. Oh, don't go there. What are you thinking? What are we thinking? Do you think he's got, is he going like Creed and Nickelback? No. I don't know any artist from down under. It's well, it doesn't matter. Music. Like, like what's he listening to? Like, uh, uh, like what, like the Australian band? Like in excess or something? Classical music. Guy. You're saying classical. Uh-huh. You, you think he's a classical music guy? Yeah. Okay. That's okay. What do you got? Um, I know you're a big Nickelback guy. Uh, I, I, you know, I cherish her entire collection. I mean, anybody that doesn't like Nickelback doesn't really know what music is. I would agree with that. <laughs> um, whatever Tex was playing on in the gym today, uh, it was... Uh, no, what's what's Nickelback's one hit? Their first one? I can't remember. Uh, every song they've never, ever written never, is a hit? It's like, it starts out, never made it as a blind man. Never made it as a blind man. Oh, Whatever that song is. No, no. All, all of a sudden, Train comes Remind. on, and I look over, and Tex is like tapping his foot all excited. <laughs> and I was like, I think I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to send the intern over there to punch you, but he would probably not make it. I'm saying 80s rock. Nah, I bet you it's like Metallica and stuff like so? that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. No, yeah, it is. It's uh, pretty much anything hard and fast that'll give me fired up. So some heavy metal. Uh, we've got some Slayer, Metallica. Yes. Okay. Uh, got some gangster rap in there as well. You know, some old school Ice, Ice Cube, Dr. Dre. Um, and we got some drum and bass. Anything that gets that kind of buzz going. Yeah. Yes. That's good. I'm telling you, man. There's a little uh, bit of hate. Like those guys uh, make you, music with a you little, little like, bit of hate. You gotta like like the '80s and '90s gangster rap stuff. I'm like, with you, it's man. So good, like Easy E, N.W.A., like all that stuff. <laughs> so I'm it. trying to. Yeah. Oh, and I got a, a five month old daughter, so I try to get music on every day and like different music. But I'm on a big Warren G kick. <laughs> uh, regulate? Yes, dude. Like and he, so he's he's awesome. There's a, all the he, stuff that he's like uh, uh, he cameo in. Yeah, yeah, he and Nate dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys should get some Montel Jordan there. This is how we do it. I'm writing. That down. I'm getting it out. Like everything, broad spectrum. I have no idea why, but I feel like it can't um, I remember getting in my um, my brother uh, and his wife. Like I remember, uh, I went to go get in his wife's car, and my my brother and I were going somewhere. And he like oh, turns the car and the radio comes on and Carrie is listening to like the most like ghetto <laughs> like gangster <laughs> rad music. I like get in and I was like look at my brother and we like look at each other. We're like, is this what she drives around listening to in an Escalade? Yeah, John's sister in law is like very prim. Like is that yeah not, yeah like, very yeah she to say right? yeah she has a great job. Like she she you know proper like, yeah like <laughs> makes a ton of like well put together plays tennis like uh um you know drives a white uh escalade you know like went to usc uh has a you know like is uh vp for this big company and everything we get in and it's like screw face and like uh <laughs> like i'm like listening to this and i'm like i like looking at my brother i'm like what don't we know about your wife he's like dude i don't She's i don't even know where this stuff comes from uh oh yeah, whatever falls yeah warren g <laughs> is coming to manchester on sunday april 12th so Ooh, get it this DJ be um, Dude, the, the UK is uh, is huge for EDM. Like I remember when uh, I I had a buddy who um, lived in London, uh, Elephant and Castle. I remember was the stop, and uh, I remember we went over and every time the, there was all these like crazy EDM shows we went to. So he just said that was real big there. Uh, so yeah, I have to have to convince the wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and so then has this kind of been the ritual? Like, has it evolved over time? You've been, I mean, because you've been in the game for a long time. Have you found that maybe early on you didn't give yourself that normalcy in the earlier half of the day and it just, like, derailed you? Or, you know, like, how has it evolved over time? Uh, I say the only 
thing that's evolved is they don't hang on to, um, you know, silly rituals, things, you know, you play a good game and you think, oh, I did that early in the day, I'll keep doing that from now. And then, you know, you forget to do it and then it unravels your day. <laughs> so, you know, I just more flexible in my day if things don't go as planned or, you know, geez, sometimes you have an argument with your wife the morning of the game and, uh, you know, just shit happens uh, that you kind of got to roll with. Is, so I've just tried to have the mindset of, you know, once I turn up to the stadium, it's uh, flip the switch and, you know, whatever's happened before, that doesn't matter. You know, I try to have a structured routine during the day, but uh, you know what it's like with kids. Uh, anything well, the, can happen. Uh, so, uh, the, the superstition thing is uh, like it plagues. It's like a plague. Like all of a sudden, yeah, like, yeah. I, I, and uh, I got to the point where, um, like, just weird, like, su- superstitions that kind of played into almost, um, like, patterns. Like, uh, when I would go get dressed for some reason, I would, like, put on, like, all of my left side stuff, and then I'd put on all my right side stuff. Like, I didn't put, like, I would put on, like, one sock and, like, the whole pant. Like, it was, and then I'd tie the shoe, and I remember thinking, like, this is so fucking weird. And then I remember I didn't do it, and I didn't play good, and I'm like, Okay, that superstition doesn't hurt anybody. And then, like you know, kind of like the the timing. I got to the field three hours ahead of time, and I knew I was here at this point and this point. And I just, it, and I, I think what it was was maybe almost comfort. Like it wasn't necessarily superstition. Yeah. Like I'm gonna, you know, step on a crack and break your mom's back kind of deal. But more like it just kind of a different way to kind of turn your mind off. But. Uh, you know, and then you find yourself listening to the same songs. You know, I had like a playlist, and I'm like, okay, I know I'm at song four. I know I'm going to go out in like three minutes, and um, I had all these like little rituals and like kind of like uh, superstitions. And then when I went to the Kansas City Chiefs, I looked over one of the very first games, and I'm like, you know, basically like working myself into like a serial killer frenzy. And the guy I'm playing next to uh, is sleeping, Later, got dressed in his uniform. And uh, like made like a, a, you know, a little pillow out of like towels. And I look over and he's snoring sound asleep. And I'm like completely threw me out of my groove, like fuck my whole world up. That's three. Um, <laughs> like messed me up. And uh, all of a sudden we were like getting ready to go out and somebody tapped him like, hey, Will, um, we're ready to go out. And he was like, okay. And he like got up, put his helmet on, went out there and killed this dude. And I remember thinking like, Something to this. Yeah. yeah, maybe I should uh, change my approach a little bit and like not do this. But yeah, it's uh, it's always interesting when you see people's pregames and whatever. And and I, I'm with you. Like if you get into this like superstition and then something goes wrong. Like I played with a guy who had to have uh, spearmint gum. Like he would have to have a pack of spearmint gum and like would chew one. And he had this whole deal. And uh, either somebody took his spearmint gum or he couldn't find it. I don't even think he played in the game. He's like, I can't play without my gum. Yeah, and I'm like, uh, yeah. yeah. So I, I think sometimes that stuff can be dangerous. Well, a lot of times, yeah, no, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah, same thing. On a rugby team, you have guys who are super relaxed, guys who are you know up dancing around, and you like. <laughs> for me, I'm in, in my head. It's in a turmoil, you know, trying to keep it together and uh, stay calm. But you know, some other guys look like that. You know, just about to go down the beach for a stroll, but. Yeah, whatever works for the individual, I suppose. Right. Yeah, but I mean, once you get out there and the you know and the whistle blows and the ball snaps, everything kind of yep, it's all time. Yeah, time. Yeah. You know, it's almost yeah, like you're, you're like waiting for that to come uh, come out and happen. Um, yeah. What uh, do you, do you guys watch a ton of film? Like um, uh, like films big in yeah. the NFL, man. Like like we watched so much film to the point where you know to this day, uh, like you know guys that I played with, like uh, they'll mention a guy and I'll be like, what? No, I know that guy. He sucked. Or that guy was good because we, like, we would spend 
40% of our day in a film room watching film and then we had cut ups and like, you know, we had them on our computers and we they, everywhere I went, I was always watching film to evaluate people. I just wondered if that's the same for you guys. It is, yeah. They have like a, an app now that's on your phone and they'll send through film or the other team and you know, film for your position specific stuff. And um, for me, I just need to look at the sort of the critical things for my job, which is, I suppose, the opposition scrum, um, maybe a, a few things around the opposition attack for defense, you know, just like the just the common pitches that I need to look at. And then apart from that, I try to sort of uh, not not watch too much, I suppose, and just focus on my own stuff and preparation and I suppose focus on getting out in the field and just um, reading and reacting on, on what I'm seeing as opposed to getting worked up around, you know, stuff on a computer. Um, it's definitely changed a lot from when I started. Uh, when I started playing rugby 10 or 12 years ago, it was a lot less and now they've, you know, got stats on everything and, you know, film four or five different angles and <laughs> I think there are things you definitely need to see but sometimes I think they do overdo it as well oh well the NFL in the last 10 years has um the cameras have gone up like 300 percent or three three thousand percent so now they have something like uh, I think there's at least two cameras on every single player and yeah. uh and then there's you know so like you'll see the cameras flying over to the point now um where they can actually 3d model every player and every athlete in any space on the football field because they're so so they have to have like i think it was three axes there's two cameras on every player and then they have the deal so like when you show like in they'll, they'll show like a 360 version yeah and they they 3d model it is like I blew my mind with they, how many they cameras. also have force plate technology all over the football field so with those 3d renderings and models they also can measure the speed the pace the miles an hour or kilometers an hour that these athletes are going and they're calculating the probability of each success or failure of each play and so if some o odell beckham this amazing receiver we got makes some one-handed yeah. well he amazing was catch. an amazing receiver but for an example him that may have some international uh, relevancy but they show the probability of six percent of this particular play because the baker mayfield throw that bad a pass or mm -hmm. john's joke eli but just showing all these stats and we're getting them just fed to us in real time. I, I think we're going to start taking advantage. Well, well there's uh, there's boys? sensors in the helmets and the pads too, yeah. where they can measure uh, G forces Every on hits. So now they know that if a guy goes in and he gets hit, then they can say, Hey, you know, there was 22 G's of comp on uh, of contact in this. And then they, they can go assess it. I mean, the amount of like technology that they're using. And uh, it's pretty amazing. Cause like, I don't even know if the fans, and like the the people realize, like people watching the game, how much information they're collecting. It's just it's unreal. Do you think that they're poisoning? This is, I don't know if this is a real theory yet. I have to really meditate on it. But when the NFL goes away, are they going to try to like have a virtual artificial intelligence league based off of all of this data to give you realistic NFL games without having real players? What they need to do is create like a hybrid is they need to kind of hybrid uh, <laughs> or robot mutant league football, robot league football. Oh, they need to like hybrid rugby and, and American football. They mm -hmm. need to like hybrid it to like, cause uh, I, I, I don't know if you guys have the level of concussions that, that uh, NFL players have, 
But I mean, I, I got to imagine there is probably a high level of concussion, or maybe they just haven't looked at you it. That's a fire you get burned, man. When you got a guy like Owen rolling at you, just ready to spear to well, on a beach, it looks cool. Well, but he, I, I guarantee, you, as bad as that is, there's some uh, islander dude who's got a got like a, a skull that's like a, a plate of armor. I dude, I, I used to play with these like Tongans and Samoans, and I swear they are like a, like a different species. Yeah, yeah no, that's like. Genetic folks, yeah, like, like just, just yeah. the, uh, like their skulls are harder. Um, like I, I remember uh, talking to somebody once, and they're like, you know, if we scan their skulls, they have extra bone in the front. And I'm like, no way. Yeah. And they were like, yep, you know. And then like it just, yeah, I, they're just different animals. So Luke, you, that's not surprising. Yeah. Uh, there's a movie that exists on this premise. It's called Real Steel, starring Hugh Jackman, a washed-up boxer who doesn't have any more. So he like controls a machine and they fight in a ring like that old eighties game. You know, oh, uh, rock'em sock'em robots. Rock you don't think I know what real steel is? Oh, you're talking to listeners. Of course I know real steel. But you watch think it every weekend. Your theory is that real steel will be real and replace football. It is now, yes. Well, do, do you believe um, it or not? No. Oh, then I do. Well, first of all, <laughs> we're gonna have to reevaluate this because just know, um, I don't know if you guys have been keeping eye on this coronavirus thing. Mm-hmm. Have you have you checked this out, Owen? Have, have you been watching? Yeah, no, no. I've, so I've seen it. Yeah, they uh, had a pretty interesting thing where now the Chinese aren't letting anybody come in to help, and they're building yeah. like walls around these. Like, it's pretty interesting how um, the place that it's centered. There's a um, like a virus research center to where it's centered, and they found a patent on this virus. Yep. So that one kind of blew my mind. But uh, in 2018, Bill Gates was uh, put out this deal that he believed that there would be a virus that would kill like 30% of the world's population in six mm -hmm. months or 30, you know, some astronomical amount and that we need to start preparing for it, like preparing for war. And uh, I'm like, so like, uh, like last night I had a buddy who was forwarding me all this because he's, uh, this is my buddy Rick, does a lot of work in Japan and he's like, I'm not going. Like I'm not going to Asia yeah. anymore. Like this is, uh, this is the real deal. And he's also like kind of a doomsdayer. <laughs> And so, like he, like yeah. I, I woke up and there was like fifty things he forwarded me in the night. He's like, "Bro, it's it's happening." And, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, but that's. No, I've been, uh, yeah. I've been doubling down on the vitamin C, so uh, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping that's going to do the trick. <laughs> yeah. You're like, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pickle myself in vodka, and I'm going to take a bunch of vitamin C. I'll be fine. Yeah, do a couple of extra saunas. I think I'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. Hey, does uh, want to kill all this stuff? Because I'm going to get to live in one. Oh man, that's yeah, uh, it's fun. Yeah. Oh, and have you uh, have you ever put on football pads? American no, football I haven't. Pads? I had uh, I had dreams about doing it when I was younger, but uh, I think my body's definitely too beat up now. I'd, I would love to give it a go. Definitely, um, definitely don't think I'd be athletic enough to play it, you know, professionally. But um, yeah, it'd be awesome to give it a crack. I was just kind of curious of like what six it, these guys six. Uh, you said you were six one, six two, six one, six one. Yep. Six one, so back. he'd be a fullback. Uh, I would say punter, and you uh, never know if it's going to punt or. Be <laughs> I like that. So I played with a dude yeah. named Levon Kirkland, and Levon was six one, three hundred pound, uh, middle linebacker, yeah. and he played for uh, yeah. uh, the Steelers. And I remember the first when we went to go play the Steelers, I lined up, and this dude was like, he was he was bigger than our center, and I, I came out and I like put my head down, thinking he was going to fucking tee my head off and he olayed me <laughs> right just fucking me. when i got up oh yeah, I, I, I like like totally like turfed on my face like you know grass in my mouth like look like an idiot and i got up and i was like he's like yeah he's like 
like, 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 like basically like awesome. he, he, and, and I, uh, I ended up playing with him later and he was like, everybody tries to kill me on the first play. He's like, <laughs> I owe everybody on the first play. Cause in the second play, I came running out kind of like tiptoeing, waiting on it. And he Late. smashed me. And I remember thinking like, Smack off. Yeah. I was like, okay. And then he, he's like, oh yeah, dude. He's like, they, they see me at 300 pounds. They're going to try to come kill me. He's like, I will lay him in the second one. I light him up. And I'm like, God damn it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like, don't worry. I get everybody yeah. with it. Well, I'm just curious what the perspective is like, cause oh, and you've got to have hundreds or even thousands of like big collisions. Right. And then compare and contrast body to body to like pad to pad, you know, cause it's not like wearing the pads doesn't make it hurt. You no, know what I mean? Like, but, but, but it puts, it's, it's it, gotta be, it lulls you into a false sense of security. Yeah, yeah. Like the helmet does and the shoulder pads where you feel like, uh, the, like you can move so much like the velocity, which you're going to hit somebody with, uh, there's no like small little voice in the back. Like, Hey, don't do that. Like you just kind of like, <laughs> I'm going to be a missile and I'm going to try to kill this dude. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, protected. yeah. And I've got I'm, this I've, cage around I, Yeah. I got this cage around my head and I got these like flimsy shoulder pads and maybe some like, no, nobody else wears any leg pads. So you just go out there and kill people. That, that That's what uh, it was yeah, I think it'd, it'd be a hard, it'd be a hard task. Yes. I suppose with the helmet as well, you, as a rugby player, you rely on your peripheral vision a lot and, uh, I assume being closed in like that would be something that would take a while to get used to. And then you've got all the other intricacies of the game that would, uh, you know, take time to pick up on, but, um, definitely a pipe dream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, um, how, um, how many years have you played professional? Uh, played my first professional game when I was 19. So is it 12. Yeah. 12. So you're 31 now. Yeah. You're right there. I'm 32. 30. <laughs> okay, so, I, forget, I forget my age. So with, um, uh, I mean, obviously you said that you wanted to come to the UK to, you know, can be a more complete player, but I'm, uh, was, I'm sure money was involved that there was a, you know, a nice offer to, you know, come up and play in that is, is that something now where guys are more willing to kind of go and play in some different stuff if the money's there? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Typically, guys from New Zealand will come over to the UK because for an All Black, um, the top All Black in New Zealand, you're probably not going to get paid too much more, I don't think, unless you get a uh, you know a one-off deal. Um, so for me, the money is about the same. It's not a little bit less coming over the UK. It was more about um, a lot of things, really. I suppose in New Zealand, you spend a lot of time away from home, or with the kids getting a little bit older, I wanted to you know, spend a bit more time with them and not travel as much. Um, and there's the, the experience for the family being over this side of the world and getting to do some more travel um, and, and just also getting out of the bubble of New Zealand and then playing-wise, um, you know, a different type of game and, you know, can I have the same impact over here that I had in New Zealand, which is a, is a big driving factor for me. So those are the things that, um, I suppose, made, made the whole decision. Have, have you traveled anywhere cool since you've been there? Not yet, no. We've only been here a couple of months, but um, once the season finishes, we'll we'll get around Europe and looking forward to you know, visiting. I think we want to go to Iceland and uh, you know, some of those countries up there and uh, Croatia. Yeah, uh, yeah some places like that. Be cool. That's my bucket list. Yeah, yeah. Like my one bucket. Like um, I want to go to Iceland. I like it's amazing. Like on Instagram or anytime I see like a, like a picture of a landscape or something, I'll yeah. look at it and be like, oh, and it's always. Iceland. 
Yeah, uh, some of the people in the battle. Have you looked in? Have yeah. you looked in Croatia, John? Uh, Croatia is pretty amazing, yeah. especially down on the uh, on the water. But like, unbelievable. I know uh, Tony Gonzalez and them go to Croatia, and they posted some pictures that were like the water was like. The yeah, it looks awesome. Man. Yeah, yeah. Since summer, we'll look to uh, look to go there. Definitely. Yeah, that yeah, that'd be some nice ones. Yeah, no, some good yeah. adventures. Yeah. Uh, another observation, I guess, because like football and rugby are, are on this. I mean, there's like a parallel and comparison because it's a violent sport for violent dudes, <clears throat> right? But what's interesting about the rugby thing, I think, is they're not hiding behind helmets like for the viewer, right? So they, I shouldn't say hiding. They're not hidden behind helmets. So like there's more, the, the town knows you, the people know you, they see your face in the gameplay versus at I always think there's a little bit of anonymity with a football helmet on, yeah. right? Other than I was at Costco last weekend, and this dude was like, go Chiefs, you're John Wellborn, right? I was like... Yeah, and I guess it's changed a little bit with like the, <laughs> what, there was the telecast. a documentary about the old Miami football team with Michael Irvin. Mm-hmm. So he said when he used to score a touchdown in college, and now it's a penalty. Oh, take he, take he was jealous of the basketball team. Everybody knew him on campus. So he'd score and take his helmet off so the <laughs> campus would get to know him and he could go party. Is that the, is that the year? The documentary of the year? That that, that's it, yeah. Yeah, it's awesome, man. Yeah. Dude, those guys, uh, when they showed up for their national championship, they were all dressed in uh, military fatigues. They got yeah. all like, uh, like they, yeah. It, I, listen, like you kind of shake your head at it, but in the moment, probably uh, like dude, kind uh, of revolutionary. We're like, all going to wear, we're all going to wear battle fatigues. Intimidation. And, oh, man. But the ultimate player coach in Jimmy Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. He knew his team. Yeah. And, <laughs> and just let, you know, brought awesome, the best man. out of him. So I'm like, so you got the, U, you got some, uh, some really cool um, football documentaries. Are there any good rugby documentaries for guys like us over in the States who appreciate the sport, but want to get like the true gritty nature of it? Uh, not, not really, to be honest. There's a couple of, what a shame. yeah, there's a couple of good ones. Uh, I suppose on some of the local legends in New Zealand, uh, Richie McCoy and Dan Carter, but they're not the same, I suppose, production level as what you'd get in the States. Uh, yeah, yeah not the same drama. Yeah. You don't get the 30 for thirties, which are, you know, you can watch all day. Uh, no, you don't, oh. you don't, you don't really get the same, same sort of stuff here, uh, which is a shame because yeah, you can, you can make some good ones for sure. They should have like, um, I always thought like for a channel I would subscribe to if ESPN had a channel that was just nothing but 30 for 30s. Cause anytime like they come on, I'm like, God damn it. Like, why don't like, there should it's be really a channel well done, just, right? just of these. Well, there, there was also, what was the Invictus movie? Um, Starring Matt Damon. Yeah. With Matt Damon, which, you know, with a real bad South African I think African it was accent. called Invictus. Was it called Invictus? <laughs> Actually, I don't know. Is that yeah, the one? Well, where that was the one with like Nelson the robot, Mandela. The robot spine? No. This was Nelson Mandela movie. Oh. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm not sure if it's uh, the same when you see like a football movie, but the, it just looks totally fake, you know, when you see like a rugby game sort of I watched on a movie. Uh, every, yeah. every given Sunday or any given Sunday, and I remember thinking, why don't I get to play on that team? Yeah. <laughs> like, it was like, there's like, there's strippers at practice, they're cutting cars yeah. with chainsaws, like, yeah. holy shit, where's that team? And that's what I thought professional rugby was, it was one of my favorite uh Movies in my teenage years, I thought I was going to be like uh, that player shark for sure. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. It wasn't quite the same. Yeah. Hey, uh, um, question, and, and uh, this is something that I don't even know how I how I broached this, but um, so the first time I saw like the All Blacks play, and they came out and they did like the haka, like the war dance deal, and uh, I thought it was super cool. Like I thought that this was something that like you know gave um, you know paid homage to the culture, and it was unique to them. And then 
I feel like uh, everybody started doing it and it bastardized it where like I was like, oh, another Hakka that's not the All Blacks doing it. And it was kind of interesting where it's like almost to the point where I've been like, oh, my God, like, like let somebody have their, you know, that's their deal. Like, let them do it. And it just seems like it's, uh, you know, to use our expression here in the States, uh, it comes from Jump the Shark almost a little bit where I'm like, man, you guys have curb stomped this. Like, it's like a good song you hear and then they just play it over and over again where you're like, oh. Pretty much, I think, yeah. I think a lot of teams, it just became the thing to do. If you're a New Zealand representative team, you get done properly and there's some meaning behind it. Um, you know, for me, I'm I'm a New Zealand European, so I don't have any uh, any Maori heritage, but I, I understood what it was about and I tried to pay the respect that it deserves by, by doing it properly. Um, but, yeah, it is, it is a shame when you see people do it, you know, off off the cuff and you know they don't really do all that well it sort of becomes a bit lame but yeah no i, I yeah it, it was kind of chilling to see especially like uh you know like like the intensity of it and having played with a bunch of guys that were you know islanders and to know that their you know level of insaneness was high uh <laughs> but yeah it's funny i'd like would see it and be like oh another people doing the haka i'm like okay then it just kind of felt like it just I'm like, man, you guys are cheapened it a little bit. So I'm glad I'm not the only one that thought like that. Cause I'm like, man, like, like let those guys have their deal. That's their deal. They've been doing it for, you know, for years. I mean, it's gotta be, I, I forgot what the history is, but they started doing it probably back in the fifties and sixties. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, even back to early 1900s, I think they maybe started. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Well, well but, uh, but for like pre it before the rugby, I mean, I, I, I don't yeah. know when the all blacks first started, but it's kind of been one of their traditions for a long time. So yeah, I'm like, sure. oh, yeah, bitching. <laughs> yeah. You got anything else, Tex? Right on. I was going to say, uh, um, if he can, are we still doing something at Oktoberfest this year? Aren't we supposed to do a block one at Oktoberfest? We can talk off after the show about that. I was going to say, we should, if he's close, we could invite him and his family. It'd be fun. Yeah, we'll yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd love to get to Germany. We went to Oktoberfest. Uh, we've all been in Munich. We taught at seminars in, uh, um, where was that? In uh, Nuremberg. In Nuremberg. And then we go to Munich for Oktoberfest. Yeah. Uh, probably one of the most fun times I've ever had. It, like, everybody should go see it. Like, if, if, you're, if you have the opportunity, and it's like end of September. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, the coolest thing ever you show up and there's like a, a, a tent that's probably the size of like th three rugby pitches mm -hmm. and there's like five bands and it's this tent and like uh all the beers are all like big like 40 ounce steins that normal show up size. yeah like normal size <laughs> and, uh, like it's, it's bad 80s music and people like it was it was awesome i remember when tex and i rolled into this tent tex like where we're gonna go and i'm like hold on let's see and i look over and there are these idiots like smashing things fighting i'm like those are our guys <laughs> so i went over there and Next That's the thing that one without the family. Yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, no, it was good. But I, uh, I would actually like to bring my kids because when we were there, um, these parents were absolutely getting smashed, and these kids were like <laughs> hanging out, like their their kids were all there, like in the in the traditional like leader hosen in the outfits, just like dancing, having a good time. And I'm like, like, and all of a sudden, you remember we saw that lady like pass out and yeah. fall off the table. It's awesome. It's great. Was yeah. wearing a underwear. Yeah, that was that was a little uncomfortable. Yeah, Good experience for the this kids. This lady was, yeah, this lady was standing on a table. She fell off of the table, landed on her back, and her legs went up dress, and she wouldn't wear any underwear. And we were like, ooh. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Party. It's, it's <laughs> 3.30 p.m. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, it was before 5. 
Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a good time for sure. Yeah. One quick question. So often, Owen, we get to hear stories of John's rock star life outside (laughs) as a professional athlete. Do you have any safe for radio adventures that you can share just happened by circumstance of being a professional athlete? Uh, uh, nothing really. Gosh, I, I'll probably think of something in 10 minutes. Um, I always enjoyed when we went to, um, when we, we played a couple of games in Chicago against Ireland at, uh, uh, Soldier Field. And, uh, I just happened to bump into a guy called Ricky Ellison, who was, um, New Zealand's first NFL, uh, football player. He played for the San Francisco uh, 49ers, won three Super Bowl rings. Uh, yeah, this isn't a great story, but his son, Rhett uh, Allison, played for I think the New York Giants at the time. Uh, he's a tight end. And yeah, so got to go along and and watch him play and sort of uh, you know, he was talking to me about the ins and outs of the game. So th- that was a cool experience. Um, he's pretty good mates with my brother as well. Um, yeah, so that's the only thing I can think of now. I suppose in five minutes, I'll probably think of something a lot better. But <laughs> Did you ever go to, uh, obviously you played a bunch in Japan. Um, when, when you guys go to Japan, like just being like, like, um, so one of my good friends, a guy named Bob Sapp and Bob's a professional fighter and he's <laughs> uh, like a huge celebrity in Japan. So when I went to Japan, like we were with Bob and it was like, he was like a beetle, like a backstreet boy. Like people were screaming and taking pictures and a mob for, I mean, it was fucking pandemonium. Yeah. And I remember being like, holy shit. Like that was one of the coolest experiences. I'm like, I never knew it was like to be a Beatle until I saw Bob Sapp in, Bob in, Sapp in Japan. Beatle. Oh, uh, like, like I imagine Bob Sapp is to the Japanese as like 13 year old or sorry, Backstreet Boys are to like 12 to 13 year old girls, mm-hmm. like awesome. screaming and crying, people passing out. It was incredible. So. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Good well, stuff. Well, man, yeah. Hey, uh, thank you for for coming on. It was awesome. I mean, if we uh, if you ever come to the states or if we ever have a chance to meet up, man, I'd love to, you know, definitely meet up in person and and uh, get to know you and your brother anytime we can. So uh, yeah, I'd love uh, to. You. Thanks yeah. for uh, having me on the podcast. It was, uh, it was an honor for sure. So thank you. You got it. All right, All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening to another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and, and Conditioning. conditioning. Got it. Drop now it's time for you to empower your performance you can find owen franks on instagram under the handle at owen.franks and be sure to catch him in action this sunday that's february 16th as the saints take on bristol until next time bye